Welcome back to the Turn Row Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Ethan Diver, and with me, as always, is Kevin. Hey, how's it going? And John Gibson. Howdy. And working the ones and twos from a truck is Colt. So, Colt, it's okay. You don't have to talk. It's better that way. But anyway, so we so thought we... So <laughs> discriminative. Nah, <laughs> you know, it's okay. He knows we love him. That's what matters. <laughs> we don't have hate in our heart, just in our voice. Yeah, we gotta have somebody behind the scenes, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's pro- Kevin. It's probably just you know we're that guy for customers of ours. So now yeah. we get to have one of our own. So. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. You know. Yeah. Being the guy in the in the background, but um, so we thought today we would talk a little bit about wheat harvest, um, versus you know South Texas versus Southwest Kansas. Uh, what is the next step? What are we going to do? Um, I'll talk about yields a little bit because you know our our wheat's been out for about four weeks already. So um, I guess we'll start there. So for if anyone doesn't know a little bit about my territory, I am in South Texas, um, west of San Antonio, down to Corpus area, a bit of a triangle there. Um, we harvested wheat. Um, I guess four to six weeks ago and because of the length of our growing season, we, uh, we always double crop. Very rarely will we not double crop. And sometimes depending on your soil type, it'll be peanuts. It'll be cotton. If there's good sesame contracts, we'll double crop with sesame. Um, occasionally you'll have a, a fall crop of corn go in, but that's really rare. So it's not very uncommon for us. You'll have a combine on one side of the, of the field and a strip till rig on the other side of the field with a planter on that side. They're cutting wheat, strip tilling for peanuts and planting peanuts at the same time. So um, I've seen that a couple of times. Usually they don't all jumble up like that, but that does happen. So um, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's most of the time, the strip tills the day behind the combine and the planters the day behind the strip till. And, uh, so you have a, it's like 48 hours of no farming, you know? And, um, <laughs> and then, you know, you say that, but you get one rainstorm or something and it, and the planters get behind and, you know, and stuff may lay, lay out for a couple of weeks, but. Where does your guys' sesame goes go? What's that? Where does the sesame go when, um, when it's harvested? So there, there's been a few unique things. Um, I guess it's okay to talk about some of the companies that we deal with. Um, so when I first got here um, down to South Texas, Sesco was running kind of the, the main contracts. And um, I believe most of their sesame was for oil. Then we kind of flooded the market with, or uh, not we, but sesame growers in general kind of flooded the market and the price tanked for several years. And there was a couple of years where they grew black sesame. Really? Yeah. So black sesame, it's not all black, but the seed is black. I mean, it's this looks like it's just sesame, but it's black. And that all went to Japan for sushi topping and mm. other foods, foods topping of the sort. And right. since then I've looked, you know, at Japanese food 
you know, just out of curiosity. And there's a lot of black sesame that tops it. So, and when you, but when you do that, um, or when you harvest black sesame and you look at it, it's only like 80% black. There's a lot of white, uh, sesame in that. Um, but yeah, it's one of the weird things that we do in South Texas. So now I don't know the name of the company. It's escaping me, but Sesco is still in the area. And there's a second company from Israel that is a sesame company that's doing some of the buying and contracting and stuff. So, but no, that's interesting. I didn't know yeah. if it went, went like on uh, hamburger buns or whatever, or, um, oil or whatever. I think the bulk of it is oil. Yeah. Yeah. I think sesame oil is a pretty popular cooking oil outside of the States and it's, I think Mm -hmm. becoming more popular inside. It's pretty healthy. So that's important these days. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you're selling more now to your end user than you ever have before. For sure. For sure. And that we notice that a lot because of the vegetables that we consult on, you know, you don't all, you don't always need a lot of a crop. It's more important to have a pretty crop. You know, you, <laughs> you, you want, you want the green beans or cabbage to look good. I mean, right. I'm just guilty of it. I go pick through what's at the grocery store. You know, I'm not going to get junk. You know, I, I know deep down it's nutritionally the same thing, and I could cut that part of the cabbage off because it had a little leaf burn from some wind. But you know, you're still gonna gonna buy it if there's a good one sitting next to it. So you know, it's um, and that's what's kind of unique about this sesame deal is uh, it's the contract and stuff is kind of running like a veg. You know, the vegetable stuff we deal with. There's you know packing sheds that they take it to the grocery store, whether it's Walmart, HEB, Kroger, whatever. And, you know, and they contract with the, the individual growers. And that's kind of how the Sesame deals work. And there's two companies that are contracting acres to growers and then they buy it. And then they take it to the market to, I guess, the oil manufacturers or, or whatever. So it's unique to see that uh, kind of being played with, you know, in the, in the grain market. But, um, so back to wheat. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, our wheat. Um, <laughs> Thanks for going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> no, no problem. Well, what kind of okay. yields so, did you guys uh, see this year? Um, so irrigate most the other weird thing about us is, is we're probably 80% spring wheat instead oh, okay. of, yeah. And, so the dryland wheat is typically going to be winter wheat and a little bit of the irrigated wheat will be, um, probably eight, nine years out of 10, we'll have enough cold weather to fertilize wheat, but usually one or two out of 10, we actually will not get cold enough to fertilize winter wheat. So that's why the irrigated stuff that we're pushing is spring wheat just to kind of cover your butt, you know? Um, so, uh, the, the, we don't have much irrigated wheat in the area anymore, but when you do plant it, the guys are committed to it. They're going to put a fungicide once to twice. They're going to control weeds. You know, it, it's being farmed properly. Um, we'll, we'll go anywhere on spring wheat from 85 to 110 bushels. 
um, which for, I mean, for some place as hot as we are during Greenfield, that's pretty dang good. For sure. You for know? sure. And the, the, um, dry land will go from, um, you know, depending on rain up to 50, 60 bushels. So, or as low as 10, you know, this kind of depends on what's going on. So. Does a lot of your wheat go directly to the mill or does it go to a co-op? Cause you know, my brother's in milling and they use a lot of spring wheats that they take the, whether it's white or hard red winter, they blend a lot of the spring wheats to get the protein up, to get the milling yeah. qualities they need. So do you, do you go straight to the mills or do you guys go, um, you know, to a co-op or, or something like that? The majority of it goes to the co-op, but there are a few contracts directly to a mill. And I think that is going to become a bigger player um, because, you know, a, a lot of our stuff goes to the port in Corpus Christi. Well, they there's there was two grain elevators at that port and one of them just sold and is being converted into a petroleum handling facility so the capacity of grain handling got cut in half down there so there's got to be a you know there's a void for a large portion of south texas to market their wheat and that was one thing i've heard is is folks may start going directly to some mills just to because we have good spring wheat and like right. you're saying mills would like that. So we're kind of in a unique position where we can maybe benefit from this change. Do you do, on your, excuse me, with your higher end wheat yields, do you see your protein levels uh, going down in your spring wheats? Um, I don't, th there's a slight lowering, you know, I think um, there's probably a, once you, it seems to be like once you hit like 90, 495 it kind of levels off to that hundred you know um but there I, I would say there is a difference between 80 and 95 you know mm -hmm. yeah. so but it's still better than 60 bushel dryland spring wheat or sure. winter wheat you know for sure I, I don't know you, your brother would be a cool person to have on here and talk about milling quality and oh we could he'd go off probably no <laughs> It is super interesting because there's, you talk to him and, you know, you think, oh, we just go to the store and buy flour. Well, you know, he'll come home for the holidays and say, mom, why are you, <laughs> why are you using this flour? You're not supposed to use this flour for this or <laughs> yeah. this, this uh, flour you bought at Walmart's junk. And then he'll bring home a 50, <laughs> 50 pound sack of flour. So. <laughs> enough flour to last for the, until three christmases from now <laughs> yeah well normal for you know i guess if you're not baking cookies or that kind of thing a lot yeah yeah flour. that's funny i know just in passing the stuff you've told me it blew my mind about crops that i handle all the time you know and and how different things really are just because you you throw in that wrinkle of what the miller wants mm -hmm. i had no idea about that stuff so yeah. So what about um, disease challenges you guys faced this last year? Um, you know, we always have common rust uh, in our wheat. Um, we usually have it pretty early. Yeah, we're, I feel like we're, we're like the bridge between the tropics and the Midwest, you know. Uh, <laughs> we're, like, we're when it, you know, if we get a, 
a rainstorm from Mexico, it seems like it always just catches a ride and infects our wheat, you know. And those we usually get some of those in the wintertime, and they're really good rains. They usually don't they don't come much with much hail. The slow soaking rains, and you have rust afterwards. It's kind of the it's the routine. <laughs> just so you know, all things nasty do come from South Texas, right? In the cropping world. Oh well. What can we say? <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going to go with that. <laughs> you know, I think what you should be doing is thanking me for being your sentinel plot. Well, you are right. But, you know, <laughs> if, if we could give you a little bit of a winter, <laughs> maybe get down to negative 10 every now and again, you might kill some of the bad stuff. No, I, I don't know. If it ever... You would also kill all the people down there. (laughs) (laughs) If it got to a negative number in my home, I would just, you know, you know, the the head shed of CropQuest, this is a warning. If it becomes negative numbers at my house in Uvalde, that is my two weeks. I have to move. (laughs) I am not conducive to live in a winter environment. Oh, come on. It's not that bad. No. You know, it, uh, May's pretty cold for me up there. (laughs) 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 So our listeners are going to think you're a big pansy, man. (laughs) So when I moved to Uvalde, Texas, I moved North. I grew up on the coast further South than here. So it, you know, this, this is the great white North to me. You know, it's, it it snows here in Uvalde. But and and we bring you we bring you to Kansas, you know, in the winter months, and, and it's like, miserable. <laughs> it is awful. So well, you know, we'll go off on a tangent. We'll entertain people for a minute. So we went to it was like October. I think it was an October meeting. We went to Kansas, and this is going to sound ridiculous to maybe to the listeners, but so we get in the truck, and I now keep in mind as we're about to leave, I think. I'm going to go run downstairs, turn the truck on, let it heat up a little bit. And I think it was five degrees. Coldest weather I've ever been in my life. And I only have to drive. I, what, what is that old hotel that we used to stay in before we switched? It's probably, what, three miles from the office? Right. The best Western, I think. And I go to turn, you know, turn in the parking lot. And I'm like, I think my power steering's out. <laughs> what happened? My truck broke. <laughs> And one of my coworkers from down here was with me and he was not, he was looking at me and it was kind of like a puzzled look, not like thinking I was crazy, but you know, he's not from much further North than here. So, um, anyway, we, we get a mile down the road. It's like, it's so cold. The power steering fluids thickened up, you know, like, cause it started loosening and warming up. This is just ridiculous. I don't know how people live like this. This <laughs> Yeah. We need to we need to send you uh, on a sabbatical up to like Minnesota for a winter. I would die. I would literally <laughs> die. I don't. I don't know how people. I seriously don't know people how. Like, you know, it's nice in like the May months, the springtime months, where it's cool and you don't just die from heat. But in the dead of winter, in like Minnesota, southern Canada, what do you do? Like, especially if like livestock. Those poor things, you know, it's just, you know, there's, there's a lot of those, uh, 
Canadians that actually just travel. They get out when it gets really? 30 below. Because we've been on some company trips before and ran into them, and, you know, they're really nice. And they just say that's what they do for a few weeks. Yeah. Get out. Yeah, that makes sense. But what's funny, though, we, we talk about this cold weather. A lot of our spring wheat that we grow um, down here, we get all of – they're all – um, the research and the varieties and stuff are from the Dakotas and Canada <laughs> because they grow spring wheat. A lot right. of those, cause it's too cold. They have too much winter kill. So it's the diff, you know, the reason is different, but we have to pl- you know, plug and play varieties from the Dakotas and, and uh, most of them are from North Dakota that we deal with. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a unique aspect of, of South Texas that, you go, you get spring wheat in really cold places and really warm places. You know, it's, you don't think about that much. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, yeah, you guys are doing it for the same reason because you don't get cold and then, you know, they're, they're too cold. Yeah, everything dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so besides sesame and peanuts behind, we, we will plant uh, some of the earlier fields back to cotton. Uh, you know, earlier harvested fields and um, a lot of places of the world later planted cotton will run out of, of time on the tail end. You know, you'll, you're kind of chasing a freeze during the foliation, trying to fill the bowls out. Um, and of course we don't have that problem. You know, our later planted stuff, a lot of times just does better, you know, blows out of the ground, you know, it um, just, it gets plenty of heat. We get too many heat units on cotton. There's times like today, if it hits 110, you'll see a little bit of growth suppression because it's too hot for it. You know, it's, it's kind of staying alive more than anything. So, um, I don't know, Kevin, is there any other wheat problem or questions you have? What about, what about um, stripe rust? Do you have much stripe rust? Yeah. We'll usually get it every year. Yeah. So it is an every year deal. Like for the most part, yeah, I would. Yeah, probably. I mean, probably ninety percent of the the seasons will have it. You know? So most of your wheat acres do just have a fungicide because you're going to see yeah. enough disease pressure to justify. Yep. Yeah, and, and if not, it's going to move. If we don't do something at flag leaf or thereabouts, um, you know, so some fungicides now you can go at boot or you know boot cracking even heading um we'll try to push that as late as we can we'll do a cheap shot of fungicide with a herbicide um just to kind of clean some stuff up because we'll have some common rust sometimes we'll have powdery mildew um then we will uh have a premium fungicide that we'll throw in at flat you know that later window depending on what late which chemical you choose and what the label says. Um, and cause if we don't do that, you will get burned. It'll come in late, um, and either dry you down too quick and mess with your taste test weight, you know, fall over, what have you. Um, and we do the same thing on corn. You know, everything gets a fungicide shot on that late, late window. Cause we'll have Southern rust move in, you know, it, 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 disease finds a way to live in our crops down here. Yeah, and a lot of it's just probably from climate, you know, humid. And- yeah, because we are humid, more humid than, than the most of y'all's area. And 
Uh, we're definitely warmer. It's not y'all get as hot as we do. It's just more hours of the day and more days of the year that it's that hot, you know. <laughs> Shoot. Uh, we might as well be considered a desert compared to you down there. <laughs> I mean, with our arid temperatures and. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, so another tangent story. So. Man, you're, uh, you're on a roll. This today. is. I know. Yeah, the podcast <laughs> of tangents. So. Oh, man. This is like algebra. It's full of tangents. <laughs> I hated algebra. Anyway. So. So my first internship was in Southwest Kansas and I was joking with my manager. I said, you know, there's only two things that would make me leave Texas permanently. And he said, what's that? I said, it's July and August. <laughs> it's, it's awful. You don't get used to that. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, no, no matter how long you live here, it's those, those two months are still pretty rough. Right. Uh, so, um, so yeah, you know, we have a, uh, a multitude of, of of second crops we can go to um and i would assume that some areas will go to soybeans our phs are way too high soybeans just kind of grow to six inches and die here you know what uh, ph that's all over eight and a half eight to, okay yeah eight to eight seven very similar to us yeah we have i mean you, we have chunks of limestone in some of our places so you know, um, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's up there. So, uh, cool. but, um, yeah, I mean, we, there's kind of a, you know, a commitment you make to wheat. It's better to plant less acres. And, and if, you know, the budget's not necessarily there, it's getting better now with wheat. It got a lot better during harvest when all the wheat stuff was going on politically and, and all the, the increase in price and stuff, uh, I know it didn't amount to much, but it was a nice little spike. That was the second day of wheat harvest for us. And everyone had just locked contracts in. So it was, there was a mad dash to the co-op to see if it had been submitted yet or, you know, to see if we could, you could get out of it or whatever. But um, Yeah, we're on the other end of the spectrum usually. Yeah. <clears throat> Prices are usually, or they're substantially lower. Well, that was the first time that we ever had done that, that mm -hmm. that's that the prices had spiked right before wheat harvest. Usually um, with wheat harvest, they're still burning through last year's stuff and we're some of the first wheat to get cut. So they don't really know the true numbers of the wheat crop yet. So, but with corn, you know, that benefits us usually we're going to start cutting corn in a month and, um, Usually by then they'll know if there's a disaster in the Midwest, you know, and the, and the, the crop report comes back low, we'll get a little bit of a bump because we're some of the first American corn to go to market. So you'll see a little uptick as those numbers filter through. So, or if there's not a disaster, it can, you know, the bottom can fall out. If they're having a strong crop report in the Midwest, then it'll lower right before harvest, which is not good, you know? So, all right, Kevin, I want to get off my <laughs> tangents here. I think I had 75 tangents. <laughs> Just like three or four. So yeah, it's okay. It's, it's been okay. like a tangent ring, you know? Hey, um, so <clears throat> you, you were talking about crop falling down and stuff. And I was yeah. driving through the Texas fan handle uh, earlier this week and 
there's when you get into the northern panhandle there's a lot of lodged wheat you get into the lower half part of the southwest kansas a lot of lodged wheat what what all are are you seeing kevin um in y'all's stuff over well, so we, we've had a lot of lodged wheat also um particularly uh the irrigated wheat that got watered a lot early which promotes a lot of um a lot of growth so the plants get really tall but on top of that i think that we had a perfect storm meaning environmental conditions that and cooler temperatures and rain anyway that promoted tall wheat you know I, i've got dry land that'll hit me you know above the waist which is you know really tall um so yeah, there, there's a lot that has went down and then when you stay cool and wet and the canopy stays wet, it doesn't have a chance to dry out and stand up. So I know with um, the recent storms like this weekend and previously last week, I think we, yeah, we had a few storms last week that also with the, with the high winds, we had more go down. So you're right, it's going to be a slow grueling harvest in in some places they got to chew through a lot of that straw um and everything um yeah you know i was I, go ahead it was kind of surprising to me like you'd pass one field and it would just be pretty well laid down flat and then the next field is standing up just you know blown in the wind and mm -hmm. some of that can be seeding rate some of it can be variety um just depends fertility yeah. you know how much nitrogen they put on we play that nitrogen game a lot for us to on our our irrigated stuff with how much is too much what time you know you know for a couple of years maybe four years back or so we played with growth regulator and <clears throat> we on irrigated we to did try and shorten it up and um it was a hot, a hot word for a while, and then there were, you couldn't from year to year there wasn't a, a substantial increase in yield, and so well, and then you have the price of wheat going down, so we haven't yeah. uh, haven't done a whole lot of it, but it was it was interesting to see that you know because you apply a growth regulator and it would thicken the the cell walls of the stem up and it sure wouldn't go down no matter how much you watered it pretty interesting yeah. we did that a bunch and and between the oats and the spring wheat and the winter wheat i definitely saw a bigger response than oats the most and uh spring wheat responds a lot better but and and that's what i always tell growers that that it's not it's not going to increase your yield it's not going to make more heads it's not going to make more grain it's going to make those heads go into the combine for sure They're gonna be on the ground for sure. And then when the wheat price tanked, we got better with our water. We got better with our um, timing of nitrogen and, you know, just live with some falling over. This, you know, those growth regulators aren't cheap. No. And if, if wheat wouldn't be so inefficient with nitrogen management and, and water yeah. use, you know, if it's yeah. got it, it's going to eat it. Yeah. That's, that's what I tell people all the time with, you're you're trying to you know they ask me can we cut off water on the wheat i said well your wheat's dry you can give it five more inches and it will use six of them 
Right. It will use everything it you give it and not give you a dime back. Right. So, you know, <laughs> kind of like a is, teenager, right? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a luxury water user. Whatever you give it, it's gonna drink. You know, it's like that alcoholic uncle at Christmas. You know. <laughs> you know. You had to go there. Just drinks all the whiskey and, you know, causes heck, you know, but, um, not to be confused with Kevin Hecht. (laughs) No, Kevin has a T, you know, (laughs) very pronounced. Uh, anyway, before I rudely interrupted you, what else you got about week, Kevin? Well, you know, I guess we could go into disease a little bit. Um, you know, in some of our varieties, we did fight stripe rust. Um, we, there was a substantial, substantially more common rust this year too. So we did have to apply fungicide. But you know, out here where we're arid and we don't have the humid climate, and we're not typically chasing those late season diseases, we just we're pretty cheap on the fungicide and use uh, just you know Folicure or whatever that's cheap. Um, so we did have a lot of fungicide go out, even though guys didn't want to. Um, and we did have, again, a lot, we, we, for the last three years, we've had a lot of mosaic show up and there's, we have fields in our area that are probably could be cut this weekend if, um, barring weather. Compare, so it's probably two weeks ahead of everything else. Um, but a lot of our wheat out here is turning pretty hard. Um, it's The fields look gold, but when you get out in them, things are still soft dough, so they're pretty immature yet. Uh, I think our saving grace is that we're, we're still cool, still been pretty wet, and so we have the opportunity to, to fill. I, I don't know where we're going to end up as far as yields. Um, it doesn't seem like our berries per mesh are, are there for extremely high yielding, but that could make a liar out of me if, if we pack all the starch and weight in. That being cool this time of year, that's going to help with grain fill. Yeah, it's, it's as good as it gets. You know, I know yeah. that, uh, oh, I had an uncle send me some, snapchat videos around wichita and they were starting to cut wheat early in the week um but they got dumped on again well the whole eastern part of the state again so i don't think that they're going to be cutting for a while they're going to be fighting mud and it may be challenging for them as they fight sprouting heads or um deteriorating plant health and just need to go down to Arkansas, buy a red machine from a rice farmer with tracks on the front. Yeah. You know, get one of the nice rice packages with tracks all the way around. And, you know, if, you know, the, wheat, if the wheat price was uh, higher, that you might, you might see somebody do that. <laughs> if they got to do that, they'll probably just leave it in the fields. <laughs> yeah. Just not plant next year. Just sh- yeah. you know, put some big floater tires on a, sh- on a tractor with a shredder and just shred it and <laughs> air seed it. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think, like, why is your week turning early? Is it because of the mosaic? Is it because of, 
other diseases. No, I think that it. I don't know. I guess it's a. <laughs> it's a complicated question, because I think some of it's just the time. You know, we're getting it to be nearly July. You know what? Crap. We're a week and a half away from the fourth. And if you look at the calendar, there's been – well, last year we were already cutting wheat at this time. So I think it's probably a combination of growing a degree units and, and you know, it's, the plants just decided that it's wanting to, to start shutting down. Um, yeah. I, I don't I – don't, I wouldn't say that our disease pressure has triggered anything um, as far as ripening early. Um, yeah my opinion has just been one of those years. Yeah. You know, we're talking about diseases and stuff. Do you have Hessian fly issues? Since you so, do have continuous wheat? If you would talk to my dad back when he first started consulting, they did. But since, you know, or since in Kansas, we have a Hessian fly free date for planting. And most guys abide by that. We don't, you don't hardly see it. And if you do see it, it's super rare. Okay. So we do not that that's just a pest because of planting date that we do not fight. Okay. Because of your freezes. Yep. Gotcha. Now we uh we'll have some stuff on some continuous wheat. Some guys that have enough rain to um have good dryland acres that, you know, produce decent dryland wheat, but not very good for corn, not very good for cotton. Um that have been in continuous dryland wheat for 10 years, probably you'll see some issues pop up there and then they'll spread to neighbors the next year and stuff. But it's, it's so hard for us to combat that because of our winter or lack thereof, you know, um, there's a few Hessian fly resistant varieties, but I don't know how resistant they are. They advertise it, but. You know, Ethan, I, I mentioned that we were fighting mosaic and, I guess to go back a little bit, ours usually stems from folks not controlling their volunteer wheat or coming out of the ditches uh, from cheat, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. And do, is that something you guys fight? You know, because you guys don't get cold and. Yeah, we'll have some of that. Yeah. I mean, the, but it's the only thing we can really do is just treat your wheat. Yeah. Don't plant on a treated wheat. You know, and, and even that only gets you so far. For sure. But, yeah, I mean, we'll have – and that's – you know, we're we're not wall-to-wall -wall farming like southwest Kansas or the Midwest. We have a lot of brush country. We have a lot of areas that are, are in ranch land, you know. So um, that's something that we'll – we have lots of hosts – Right. Out of the cropping season for everything. Right. Like right now with my flea hoppers and cotton, you know, there's so much horse nettle in this bar ditch and all the ranch land that, you know, that they're just moving out in droves to the cotton. We kill, we'll kill the flea hoppers and then all their buddies come to the cotton and, you know, so yes. Yeah. That's something we, no matter the crop, you know, we have the problem is, um, yeah, so the best thing for us is, is to treat wheat. Do you have most of your customers treat their wheat with uh, an insecticide or a fungicide, their seed no. treatments? No? Um, I would say the stuff that is bought or purchased, you know, 
would be, but the bin run seed or uh, that's a year out from certification or that situ, you know, there's a lot of folks that do that. Yeah. And uh, that stuff to my knowledge, isn't, isn't really treated. That's another difference between you and I, because we have even our bin ran seed, you know, about half of it even gets treated, mm-hmm. you know, the Helena's and Wilbur's of the world will treat stuff, you know? Um, so that's just, I, I feel like we have so much because of our environment, we have so many issues. We do a lot more preventative stuff. You're and, right. Yeah. You know, and it's just, you have that problem year in and year out. And if you can prevent it and, and delay it, then it's a little easier to control once it does rare up, I guess. So, yeah, well, and you know, there's just not very many people out here willing to spend well, cause we don't have the environment or the host for it. So, yeah. Well, and, and we don't have the acres of wheat that y'all do either. Yeah. You know, when, you know, you're talking a wheat crop is acre wise on a farm is probably number three or four in acres. So you're going to farm it a little more intensively like you would a corn or a cotton because it's just not, you don't, it's not, you know, that's not as big of a, an acre load, you know, it's just to get some, you know, our soils are so active year round. We fight low organic matter content. So it's a good way to get some organic matter. You know, it's a good way to get some new chemistries on the field from a herbicide standpoint. You know, it's just a good rotational aspect for a lot of things. And so we, we throw it in there. So John, when do you think that guys will be cutting around Dodge or have you heard anybody wanting to try? I haven't. I, I've been gone for the last week, so I don't, I haven't really heard, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, driving through the Texas panhandle yesterday, um, they're definitely starting to cut down there and it's just been so wet in that Northern panhandle area that, um, I think that's probably going to keep them from getting in the field anytime soon. You know, I think that that's going to be another challenge. There's a lot of acres that only sees wheat fallow wheat in our area. And we had a, a fall this last year where we're still fighting combine tracks and such. And it may be, may not be very good. Yeah. If we've got to mud it in and out. I'd, I suppose, Go ahead. I saw a picture uh, last, late last week of a, uh, grain cart and a tractor just buried you know straight up to the um i mean all the way to the main frame it was just like goodness gracious well i don't even last year there was uh custom cutters that the the folks running the grain cart told the truck drivers do not park in the same spot every time because (laughs) <laughs> not like you're actually wringing water out of the soil but you know it was you could drive and park one time but the next time you may not get out yeah i don't know why ruts bother you guys there's these things called plows you should just use those yeah, get them ruts right out boys no till <laughs> no it's recreational tillage that's the practice you, know, you need when you get this wonderful stuff that falls out of the sky all the time it, it works I, and I wouldn't say all the time. When it comes to spurts, there's there's an area in, towards Brackettville that it seems to only rain five inches at a time. 
it'll stop for three months and then you'll get another five inches. Really? <laughs> yes. It's, it's so, we, we got, you know, two weeks ago, there was a 10 day span that got nine inches of rain out there. It's only got 10 inches of rain since January. How does, how does so, the soils just not get entrenched with waterways and runoff? It is extremely flat. There's a lot of brush and it is heavy, mucky, sticky gotcha. black ground filled with a little bit of caliche in spots. So <laughs> the water stacks high, doesn't go anywhere. You can farm rice on this place. I mean, it is so flat and so heavy. You could farm it just it'll stay there, you know. We had a we have one water hole there that has held water in in you know it would we got like a three inch rain one Easter and it's held water until January January or um, July fourth sorry wow yeah and that was from like a four inch rain it's just real mucky and flat and doesn't it has to evaporate that's the only way for it to go away but going back to the wheat again um, yeah Mister Tangent <laughs> man I'm just on a roll today you know. I don't know what to tell the listeners. I'm sorry. I hope you've been entertained. I've enjoyed myself. Apparently, Are you not entertained? <laughs> apparently, my co-hosts have not enjoyed themselves, so I hope the guests have. <laughs> no, we're just trying to keep it on a somewhat right path. i gotta got to herd you in the right direction. <laughs> yes, you are herding this cat today. <laughs> Go um, on, Kevin. I'll shut up. Well, one thing I think the is going to be another challenge for us again this year is, is we, there's a lot of weeds coming up underneath this wheat. Uh, we've had enough rainfall and there's a lot of kochia and pig weeds coming up. So it's going to be very good for our guys to be Johnny on the spot and be able to spray right behind the combine before the wheat. Well, typically we can kill the weeds right after harvest, but after that we get almost like a blast furnace for a while and don't get the humidity and then because of that we can't kill weeds so um so why wouldn't you spray them before harvest because they're not a harvest issue okay i think last year was the first time since i've been out here that we've ever had to do it and it was bad enough that the guys that didn't um was that they were actually throwing wheat out the back of the combine because there was so much green material going in the front i've just found that well a lot of times it's a harvest issue for us mm -hmm. but i found that when we if we think we need to it's better to do it because you can kill them better in the wheat before you cut them in half well i suppose the other smoking gun is harvest restriction you know what what can you spray and uh who knows <laughs> well and then some of the stuff that we do spray <laughs> before harvest like last year we just wanted to bow everything down below the platform yeah and then you know you know everything's gonna you're burning all the leaves off and it's gonna come back um so i, I guess the main reason we wait is because of flexibility yeah and i guess too i guess when you think when I, as i'm saying this i think about it we're also going to be planting something in that field in a week so right right you know it's easier to kill it on basically uh a dead crop, you know, that can't well, most of the time. There's still, those plants are still going to be spindly for at least a week. 
yeah. or more, you know. So you still give you some time to get some regrowth before they they really become bushy. Yeah. I think the best practice is this match till, you know. <laughs> when you're done, <laughs> just start throwing some matches out the window. <laughs> yeah. So, Kevin, uh, with all the moisture that we've had in southwest Kansas, uh, what are what are guys thinking as far as going back with a um, a crop behind the wheat? You know, Ethan and I were just talking about this before we started recording, and um, you know, there's not there's not a whole lot of people out here in this part of the world that are willing to take that risk. And if they do, it's a field here, or there, or maybe three or a handful, um, because of the unknown of August. Out here, it's August that becomes a black blast furnace. We get triple digits for weeks on end, and and that's what kind of makes or breaks things. Um, I don't anticipate a whole lot of double crop. Um, number one, because our weak acres are down, and we do have well, I, I maybe we don't we do have a market for corn, but it's wall to wall corn. Everybody hedges their bets on planting corn rather than planting wheat. So um, a lot of our silage, triticale, wheat silage and stuff just come off. Some of that stuff may go to uh, forage sorghum because uh, our starter dairy yards and feed yards are taking a lot of that stuff. Um, but outside of forage, I, I don't anticipate seeing a whole lot of beans or a whole lot of double crop unless they have a market for that. Uh, forage sorghum so even even though we do have the profile to do it yeah i appreciate you translating to uh american forest you know most folks in southwest call sorghum feed you know so <laughs> the first time i heard that i thought i was going to a feed store to pick up a <laughs> bag of 10 percent sweet feed i didn't realize that i was <laughs> looking at forage sorghum so i appreciate your translation for us and all three listeners do too they texted me so <laughs> all three of them i've had way too much coffee today boys i think i think that's probably been the, your your culprit of this tangency <laughs> <laughs> you know and i think i think yesterday and the day before were long days I just get to relax and do something fun. I'm just enjoying it too much. Sounds like you've had a Red Bull. No, just a, a typical pot of coffee in the morning. So We need you to take like a 10-mile walk before we record the next podcast. No. That's well, okay. maybe like a one-mile walk because we don't want you breathing <laughs> <Yeah>. overly heavy. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I was giving it. I was giving the uh, demonstration. The demonstration. Yeah. So, well, boys, we've been on a while. Probably should put a bow on this bonnet. Yep. Well, to our listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. It was full of tangents. I hope you know we didn't run you off. Hope you were entertained. Maybe you learned something. Probably from Kevin, not me. Definitely not from John. No, this is, you know, this is probably the best podcast because John didn't say a whole lot. So, oh man, uh, Ooh, we better, we better <laughs> right now, before this <laughs> no, no, it's been good. Well, guys, um, I don't know, is Colt still on? Um, Colt, yeah, he is. 
Colt, can you throw the people our social media so they can come follow us? Uh, yeah, if you want to reach us via email, um, you can email us at media at cropquest.com. Um, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at CropQuest Inc. And we'd love to hear from you. Yes, we would love to do a viewer-based episode, question and answers, have some interaction with the listeners. So throw something at us, go like us on, follow us, like us, give us five stars on iTunes, do all the good stuff. We would appreciate it. So with that, we are, uh, we'll shut this down guys. So thanks for listening. We'll see y'all next time.